0: You tune into my daily pop culture show, Politics on YouTube, then you know that I have raved about a recent Netflix series titled The Watcher. It's based on a chilling true story, and well, I love true crime stories that make my skin crawl. So I'm minding my own business, watching the show, probably getting cheese at crumbs in my bed when they make reference to something I had never heard of, and maybe you haven't either. Until today, it's called the fourth turn, and it references a period of time when the cycle of generations like boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Zers, etc., essentially reach a boiling point and a crisis occurs. The Fourth Turning is the name of a book written by William Strauss and Neil Howe that references the final, a.k.a. fourth, part of an 80-year cycle or generation. And all of this falls into a more academic philosophical term called generational theory. Now, if I sound like I'm trying to write a college thesis paper, it's because as soon as I began diving into this topic, it felt like I was in college trying to make sense of some weird, complex theories. But I was hooked. I love pop culture, but I also love how history shapes pop culture, politics, society, everything. I also love a deep dive into what distinguishes one generation from another. And also, Just two years ago, we were living during unprecedented times. Remember, no matter where you were in the world or where you stood politically or religiously, something had shifted. Life technically has gone back to some sort of normalcy, meaning, you know, we're moving forward, sure, but there's no argument against the reality that life has never really been the same since. So, like I said... I began looking into what the fourth turning even entails. And it was all a lot of information that made me think of the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab or the 2030 Agenda in Davos. And if you're anything like me, which, well... You probably are if you're listening to this show. You always try to think ahead. What is coming down the pipeline? What crazy event is going to define us next? How will my generation and the next generation turn out all thanks to the 2020 lockdowns and technology, just to name a few? So then I had an idea. Call my good friend Jack Posobiec and see what he has to say on this. The man is a walking encyclopedia. One of our most popular episodes of The Spillover was back in season one. I had Jack Posobiec on to discuss The Great Reset. So to bid farewell to 2022 and look to 2023 and beyond, Jack is here joining me to chat all about what the fourth turning is. If we're living through it right now, we're going to chat all about what the fourth turning is. If we're living through it currently, why you need to know about it and what it means in this new year and when we can expect or if we can a world war 3 it's a new year's episode that is more chilling than true crime i promise please welcome to the spillover host of the podcast human events daily jack pasovic <coughs> Okay, so we have to start out with this clip from The Watcher, which came out on Netflix a few months ago. But this is how I was introduced to the fourth turning in the first place. I had never heard of this whole generational theory. So let's play this clip, and then I want to react to this clip.
1: Okay. It's the fourth turning. Big pardon? Historical events, they don't just happen. They're set into motion by great men, generational personae. And each one of these unleashes a turning that lasts about 20 years, more or less. And every four turnings is a seculum. It's about the length of a human life. And at the end of each, there's a crisis. In this country, the crisis is always war. Revolution, 80 years later, civil war. Eighty years later, World War Two, And that's coming up on 80 years now, so. Something's about to happen.
0: Okay, so what the heck is he talking about? Every 80 years, something is about to happen. War happens explain this entire theory.
1: So the theory of the fourth turning goes back to a book called generations written by two researchers in 1991. And then a second book that was written by them actually called the fourth turning that which expands on uh, there's two concepts to look at, right? One is within the other. So the first is generational theory, which I think most people generally get this idea that every 20 years or so there is a new generation. So everyone's familiar with talking about baby boomers, then Gen X, then millennials, then zoomers. Everyone's familiar with that terminology prior to that would be the silent generation prior to that would be the GI generation. Okay. And you can go on and on and on. Well, what this does is it takes that and actually adds a second layer onto it that we're actually looking at a four generation cycle that repeats again and again throughout history.
0: And what's repeating?
1: And what's repeating is this process of not only the generations, but the effect of the generations on society, on geopolitics, on our world, our economy, on our relationships with one another, and the way the world works itself. And so... The four stages, or as they put it, turnings, come down to this. There's a high stage, an awakening, an unraveling, and a crisis. So the crisis then turns into the next high stage. So you go one, two, three, four, and then it, it turns over. So start with the American Revolution. Uh, American Revolution, obviously, huge crisis. Massive war with the British. Uh, Tanya Tay and I got married in Valley Forge. The entire American army was almost destroyed there. was almost completely wiped out. Um, this was a brutal, bloody, long war for American independence. It was won, but not without tremendous amount of bloodshed, tremendous amount of resources expenditure. And that was only followed by an even bloodier war 80 years later called the civil war that's north and south that's neighbor versus neighbor that's father versus son there's people by the way right now as we sit not to get ahead of myself but right now as we sit talking about national divorce right show me any country in the entire world throughout human history that's ever had any kind of separation that was peaceful okay it doesn't exist it's not in our nature and you could say oh i wish i I, I would be great if it worked this way blue states red states we go our own way and everything would be fine yeah that ain't how it works boys and girls it's never been like that throughout history it's been tremendous bloodshed tremendous amounts of hatred this look we we all we all and our civilization arose from tribes all of us uh whether whether you're slavic whether you're germanic Saxon, wherever wherever you're from in the world, right? East Asian, et cetera, et cetera. We all rose from tribes. And as civilizations, societies, town, village, city, kingdoms, empires were built, our tribe grew, our tribe expanded. But during those times of crisis, the tribe shrinks, the tribe becomes smaller because those bonds of trust are broken down. And that's what this cycle is getting at. That during the high time, that's your new institutions. Those are formed. Those are formulated. Trust is expanding.
0: So for this current fourth turning, what would have been the high point? Like, are we saying the nineties, eighties, nineties, eighties, nineties? Economies booming, families huge
1: boom, technology expansion, everybody's making money. The internet is Uh, invented. The internet's going all over the place. Dot com. You have a you. You know it. some people make a tremendous amount of money elon musk by the way an example of someone made a tremendous amount of money through paypal early on and then ebay Uh, a lot of that gets blown up but some people are able to be successful through that then they come over and this is another part by the way of generational theory where there are people because obviously the generations stay alive and at different stages of their life they they stack on to become different mentors leaders and that eventually the wise in their last stage of life. But what's interesting, what's very, very interesting is that the people from the higher age, the people that created the institutions, once they reach old age, they become the same people that the new generation is rebelling against.
0: Yes. Okay, so if the high point of this current fourth turning was 80s, 90s, internet boom and all of that, then what was the the next step is the awakening? What would have been the awakening?
1: So you're awakening, you're looking at, by the way, also, you know, the real American high. Actually, I should go back a little bit because we're we're talking 20 years. So the real American high would be more like your baby boom generation this is when the baby boomers are first born so the world World war ii has ended right world war ii was the last fourth turning um so the civil war massive bloody war bloodiest war in american history because it was american on american so every death was an american death Eighty years after that is world war ii as i say in the show 80 years after that is now is right now and we have yet to face our bloody war now we've yet to face it. So
0: could it be that the pandemic and everything that happened during that was actually our crisis and our fourth turning? I don't think so. Really?
1: I think if you look at.
0: Doesn't have to be something that completely shapes culture.
1: I think if you look at the history of the United States from our founding our inception until now. And if you look at just the last six years If you think of everything that took place, everything that occurred, everything that we talk about on on your show and my show every day, imagine that as the first paragraph in the chapter of a history textbook.
0: Dude, if everything that happened in the last six years was only the first paragraph of a generational crisis, we are so screwed. So hold on,
1: hold on. (laughs) Let me go through. Let me go through with this because I've, I've, I actually don't know if I've ever said this publicly. But it's something that I've been worried about for a long time. And I've had discussions about with, well, people know who I know in D.C. And when you look at it, the, the dissolution of our institutions, the devolvement, crackdowns on the opposition by the government, the rise of populism, the destruction of the U.S. dollar, the destruction of U.S. preeminence on the world stage, a massive pandemic is released, the rise of China, war in Eurasia, regional conflicts breaking out. All of that sounds to me like the prologue to something even bigger.
0: Are you talking about World War Three?
1: That's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, keep in mind though, again, you're talking to a guy who 15 years ago moved to China and studied Mandarin and learned everything I could about China. I lived there for two years. And I focused on this because I saw the rise of China as the greatest existential threat to the United States. And look, it's nothing against the Chinese people, but the Chinese communist party and the United States of America. And I've believed this for a long time. And I've believed it so deeply that I literally left the United States and lived there for years. Learn Mandarin because I was worried that the United States and the West in general are on a collision course with the Chinese communist party. And when I see the regional conflict that broke out in Ukraine The first thing I thought of was Taiwan, Mm -hmm. because if Ukraine takes place, then that means we've broken already this Fukuyama's idea. So Fukuyama had this idea that we've reached the end of history. So Fukuyama came out after Strauss Howe and generational theory and said, we've broken it. We've broken history. History is not happening anymore. There's no more turnings. It's all over because now- after the, the end of the Cold War, he said that since the Cold War ended, the United States is the preeminent superpower in the world, that all of this is done now, and it's going to be Pax Americana. The peace of America will extend throughout the entire world, and that's the Anglo-American system of finance, the Anglo- which is backed up by the Anglo-American system of war power. The ability of our United States Navy, our Air Force, and NATO as an extension of that to inflict our will on the entire world. That's why, boys and girls, we have bases in Germany to this day, that we have bases in Japan to this day, in Korea to this day, Okinawa, Guam, et cetera, et cetera, all around the world, the only country in the world that does that, okay? Okay, United States is, when you think of it in that terms, it is a global American empire. The question is, right, the question is what happens when empires are in decline? and other empires are on the rise. You fall into something called the Thucydides Trap. And the Thucydides Trap is this idea, goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks, that when any power is on the decline, a great power, and any great power is on the rise to usurp it, that it will inevitably lead to war. You can argue that World War II was an example of this with the rise of Germany. Mm -hmm um world war one to an extent was a rise was was an example of the rise of germany even the founding of nato right the founding of the very founding of nato the first uh general secretary general of nato it's british general and they asked him what is the point of nato He said, it's very simple the point of nato is of course from the british perspective is to to keep america in to keep russia out and to keep the germany to keep germany down that's the point of nato So. Many people around the world are already looking at this from these perspectives and Fukuyama though. So Fukuyama said, look, we've got NATO now, we've got the United Nations, we've got American superpower, American military power, and American financial power, the power of Western capital markets as this gigantic, massive force throughout the world. Nobody can ever beat us. We're gonna be immortal. We will be the immortal empire. Well, guess which other empire said that? Every single other empire in all of history. Rome would be eternal. I'm sure the Mongols said that as well. <laughs> Alexander the Great, yep. who was tutored personally by Aristotle. Every empire believes they're going to be immortal. But it turns out that every empire only has a shelf life of about what? About 250 years. And how long has the United States been around?
0: About 250 years. About
1: 250 years. And so when you look at what we've done in the 1990s, so you can talk about the 1990s, uh, that would be the unraveling period. So the unraveling period, That's it is a period of great, great economic wealth and great power. But what do we do with our wealth? We begin outsourcing. We outsourced our energy policy to the Middle East.
0: Mm-hmm. We outsourced our jobs
1: to Mexico. And we outsourced our manufacturing to China. To China, But what did we do through that? We made a drug deal, and a literal drug deal, but we made a deal with the devil by going to the Chinese Communist Party and saying, we'll finance you. We'll use the power of Western capital markets to break down our own manufacturing base here in this country, our own industrial base, which is a key element of American national security, we exported it. We divested of it. Why? For profit. Because the people who own the companies are getting more of a bottom line off of the slave, wa- the slave labor and the wages, the slave wages that are paid in China. Versus the wages that they would have to pay to people here in the United States. So those towns throughout the Midwest, the upper Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Western Pennsylvania, there's a reason they call it the rust belt. Those towns in the South where all the factories shut down and for the last 30 years, people have been limping along. That was done to them. This was inflicted upon those people. They didn't ask for that. We made a deal. And when I say we, I mean the party of Davos, the the Western financial leaders decided that we would work with the Chinese Communist Party. And they knew that they could become tremendously wealthy off of this. And they have, they absolutely have. And so they've created this massive, sprawling global empire. Here's what they missed though. Here's what they missed. While they were doing that, the Chinese Communist Party was also becoming wealthy, was also making money off this deal. And what did they do? They turned their money into internal wealth, external resource um, envelopment, and collecting. So they went to Africa because China is a research poor nation. They don't have oil. They're rare earth elements, but who does Africa and the Middle East. So that's where China goes. They go to get it and they're gobbling it up and they don't have the same moral framework, the ethical framework, any of those things. They have no uh, Christian background, Judeo-Christian background. They have no Bible. They have none of those guardrails that we do here. And so they go right in cobalt mines, strip mines, doesn't matter. Buy off the governments, who cares? And they've been pouring it all into rebuilding their country and massively expanding their military. So all of this is channeling on, channeling on, channeling on a Fukuyama and all the leaders in Washington and Brussels and Davos, like our good friend Klaus Schwab, are all sitting there saying- Great reset people. Are all sitting there saying, everything's going to be fine. It's never going to change. But suddenly, suddenly they realize that It feels like things are in decline. Brexit happens, 2016 happens in the United States.
0: Meaning Trump winning when he wasn't supposed to win. You
1: have the, when, when Hillary is supposed to win, you have the rise of these populists. Suddenly it feels like their power base is threatened. Then suddenly you see Xi Jinping, because he was always supposed to be the junior partner in the deal. China was supposed to be the junior partner But China's saying, no, we don't want to be the junior partner anymore. We want to be in charge. It's like that that you know, that scene in the movie. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with us. Because they sold us out to the Chinese Communist Party. But they realized that all the drivers of wealth are now there. They're not here in the United States. And so who has the real power now? They do. And so the great reset has been this financial, technological, biological, biomedical form of attempting to reconfigure the entire West to be like the Chinese Communist Party Mm -hmm. in attempt to try to surpass them in terms of this relationship. Because we've built this massive global empire and the struggle at the higher levels. This is your... We talk about the underworld a lot, but this is the overworld. So the struggle at the overworld level is who leads the massive global empire. Is it going to be the Western elites or is it going to be the Chinese Communist Party? Klaus Schwab's first book was called The Great Reset. What's Klaus Schwab's second book? The Fourth Industrial Revolution.
0: Oh, my gosh. The
1: fourth turning. <laughs> and so they, they realize that this collision course is set. The same way I realized it when I moved to China all those years ago, mm-hmm. that we are on a collision course, so they think that by instituting the great reset and transforming us into them, giving themselves total power that that will take them away take us away from this this conflict that that it will put us on a different path that maybe if we just become like them, that it won't devolve into conflict, that maybe the You know, the better angels of our nature will prevail, but it never has throughout all of human history ever turned out that way. It's always turned into conflict. And so when you ask me, has our conflict of the fourth turning, our crisis actually occurred yet? I don't think so. I think everything that we've seen until this point has all been prologue. (laughs)
0: Imagine a world without meat where elites encourage all of the little people, meaning you and me, to eat bugs, crunchy, spicy, barfy little bugs, and big ones, too. Imagine biting into a giant beetle in the key flavor, the guts that squish out of it and through your teeth. Yeah, you're welcome. This is why we need patriots who speak the truth like Jack Posobick or the people at Good Ranchers. You see, Good Ranchers is doing the Lord's work in a society that loves to trust the elites who really just want all of us eating bugs in the name of saving the planet. But don't freak out because there are companies like Good Ranchers that are producing healthy foods in a sustainable way. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Clark and use code Clark to get $35 off any box of meat that are hormone-free, antibiotic-free, grass-fed, pasture-raised from small ranches in middle America. They're everything you want in your food, not bugs. Fresh, healthy, mouth-watering American-made steaks, burgers, seafood, chicken, pork, and more. Leave the bugs to the celebs and get yourself a quality burger. That's goodranchers.com/slash Clark with code Clark to get $35 off your box. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Okay, so which generation is going to be responsible for the crisis? Then is it millennials, and then will it be Gen, Gen A will it be like the res- the Renaissance generation, um, kind of like wanting to shake things up. They want nothing to do with how their grandparents led things because that'll be my grandkids. Will be Gen A, right?
1: Right. So there's the. This is going back to the so. So we're going back to the in the two books. There's generations and then fourth turning. So going back to the the generation there, which we didn't, we we could probably expand on a little more. that there are the four generation types, and so uh, you have this. I they have they have one framework that I like for breaking it down, where they say artist, prophet, nomad, hero,
0: and every generation falls into one of those categories. And that you're
1: falling into these cycles. And so in in this cycle, it was the silent generation were the artists why um well this is the this is the the cycle that they've laid out oh, okay then the prophets so these are your your idealists your true believers that's the baby boom generation because they grew up in such an era of wealth and prosperity mm-hmm. that and also it by the way one of the key elements in generation theory which i think is so true that and 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 we should probably also add by the way that A lot of this is, this is not a scientific theory. A lot of this is just trying to to explain overall trends and overarching trends. And I don't mean exactly every 20 years, you know, I'm I'm sure that some midwit, you know, 115 IQ type person is gonna come in here and say, well, technically, after 20 years, it's gonna be 2020. And therefore, no, like, shut up. That's not what we're trying to say. We're saying that there are these patterns that have emerged in nature and in history that we can observe through human nature that seem to repeat again and again. And by the way, this book, if you want to get it, it goes all the way back, Alex, not just to the American Revolution.
0: Like caveman times?
1: It goes back. Well, they're able to track it back. They're able to track it back to the 1400s. Yeah. There are hundreds and hundreds of years where where we have basically like, the the advent of these generations we are able to track it back um there are certain institutions obviously that we can track back to caveman times the institution of marriage by the way which we can you know people have said there's an argument that, that that people were having recently about you know uh same-sex marriage and they were saying well you know that's just comes from the bible that should be said so, well but but actually we've we've been able to find through archaeological research that uh the institution of marriage has a that predates Christianity predates the Old Testament by thousands and thousands of years. That this has been around since humans have been around, so it does go back to caveman time. So there are patterns, and and all I'm trying to say is that there are patterns to human nature that continue again and again. There are cycles that continue, and when Just I re- like
0: the fourth turning, and when
1: I read the Bible, when I when I read history, you can see that human nature is the thing that doesn't change. Human nature doesn't change, and so. To get back to generational theory, the idea that they laid out, Strauss-Howe, is that the era that you're born in defines your generation, but we have a terrible tendency to never quite realize when the world is changing around us, we are still reflecting back on the world as it was when we were kids. So if you were born in... The time of great wealth, like the baby boomers, that you may not realize that we've moved into an unraveling, that we've moved into through the awakening into an unraveling, and now into a crisis, because you haven't experienced it yet with your own your own life trajectory, but that it's hitting more if you're so Gen X, that's the nomad generation, also known as the thirteenth generation, the millennials, which are they're called the hero generation, which sounds a little bit, oh, they heroes, right? I think it's more that they see themselves as I was heroes. just gonna
0: say, because after every yeah. crisis occurs, the pattern is that there's always a formation of new religions and things like that. And so yes. I was going to ask you with yes. millennials, I feel like that for us was this now, all of a sudden being obsessed with our self, self love and worshiping ourself, we're our own God, you know? Yes and no. What do you think about that?
1: Because there is a new pagan religion that millennials by and large ascribe to, and that's the religion of the climate cult. The climate cult became a pagan religion that something that could date back to Media Matters when I was going after me for saying this recently. And it, uh, how could you define it otherwise? How could you define what they've done with climate? It is the worship of Gaia, right? Which goes back to the Amazonians.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the worship of nature, not the worship of nature's creator, right? Just what Christians do. Uh, and 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 uh, Judeo Christians, if you're Jewish, you would obviously worship the the creator of nature, the creator of creation, not creation itself. They worship creation itself. They be, believe and vote, by the way, theocratically that uh, these things are religion to them. Uh, abortion is a religion in many ways, in the same uh, in the same sense of this, where they actually view this as. And and to your point, it, it is. Self centered, if you look at it from one perspective, but it's also a perspective of they truly believe that they're trying to make a better world. And so progressivism.
0: Right. But that's why Gen Z, aren't they going to turn their back on that and be like, I am not doing what my mom and dad did. Millennials spoke up. Everybody was an activist. And so is Gen Z going to become now the new silent generation, the ones that are literally okay with being masked and being like, I don't want to make the mistakes. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I just want to sit and do me. Or are they still going to be out and proud activists like millennials were? And then it will be Gen A, Gen Z's kids that say, I don't want this.
1: So. Through this, uh, through this reading, if, if that follows, then Gen Z, or me, yeah, Gen Z would be this artist generation, but their kids, so the children of millennials wouldn't necessarily be Gen Z. Right, so Gen Z is Gen A. They'll be Gen A, right, so Gen A, that's your profit generation. Like again.
0: your kids are Gen A.
1: So my kids would be Gen A, yeah, my boys. Um, though my boys are going to be a little bit different. <laughs> <And> they're raised on <laughs> me, and, uh, and, 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 and we're going to go through. We're gonna go through a little bit of difference on that. So when you're going back to this, you gotta realize that that adaptive generation. So my kids will enter childhood, hopefully, hopefully in an American high or in just a, a high point, a prosperous point. However, Zoomers, they're entering childhood, they're starting more now enter the workforce, during this crisis period, and, right. and, and, and I've argued, and I've said this before, we're only at the beginning of the crisis period. Um, I, I, you and I have chatted about this before, that you know, if you don't remember the world before 9/11, uh, which I think everybody just kind of throws back to as such an obvious shared point as to when we, we saw this this shattering of the 1990s the amount of prosperity that people had you know it's it's a little bit different and i I understand why you said the 90s were the prosperous point but that's it's that was the end of the prosperous era basically and the beginning of it doesn't mean prosperity doesn't exist it just means that in in terms of an era in terms of an overarching uh widespread sentiment that it doesn't that it doesn't exist without conflict so the conflict and the crisis are happening or beginning Right. The unraveling. is Do you going think
0: on. that the unraveling could 2008, the recession be considered part of that crisis?
1: 100 percent. So that's 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 your part of your unraveling. So obviously part of your unraveling was the 2008 crisis that tracks directly, absolutely directly with what we're seeing here. Just a few years after 9-11, mm-hmm. we get the financial crisis. So it goes 9-11 or in Afghanistan. Or in Iraq,
0: started with a war,
1: financial crisis, but those are still to an extent regional, to an extent regional because they're not world wars. Then, following that, we do get that we get our recession that's 2008. Then you have COVID, then you have, you have Russia, Ukraine, Taiwan. I think everybody knows is going to happen. The question is, right? The big question is, are we facing another? gigantic bloody conflict as this global empire, this global Western empire, you could call it the Anglo-American empire is fading. The U S dollar, which is the world reserve currency is fading.
0: Do you think the complete dismantling of traditional elections, how we've seen them in this country is going to play into this also? Going forward,
1: well, it plays into the instability of it. This idea that you know, we don't have we have this, there's two systems of elections now in the United States. One of which is, um, we're gonna go at the ballot box and tug that curtain, and I'm gonna walk in there and press the button or pull the lever. I mean, that's that's blockbuster video, that's horse and buggy, that's Pony Express now. Um, what they're instituting for elections is is ties right into the great reset and the rise of technocracy because they're starting it with mail they're starting it with mail-in ballots ballot drop boxes but they're not going to end there alex they want their overall ultimate goal is to take our election system and our voting system and transform it into digital voting and And should conservatives
0: embrace that or resist it
1: that's the thing is it might be inevitable. It might actually be inevitable that there's some areas where you might be able to fight it off for, for a long time. But again, as the generation cycle, right, as the generation cycle forward, because when you look at it, my kids, who, you know, (laughs) are growing up in a world where my son has seen touchscreen technology from the time he was born he's seen facial recognition technology and been familiar with the casual use of it from the time he was born he doesn't have this pervasive distrust of it Mm -hmm. the same way that my parents would that i do he views it as just a regular part of normal everyday routine life it's kind of like do you remember when the internet first came out and everybody said, don't put your credit card on there, don't put your information, don't put your real name on there, the, the scammers are gonna get you, the scammers are gonna get you, but now look at us. Now we all do it, right? So we could have fought it, Maybe and there were consumer groups that tried to fight it, but ultimately failed, why? Because it was convenient. So the power of convenience is what technology offers. And, and what I'm saying is the power of convenience will at convenient, cheap, effective, it will always win. And so the question is, how do we deal with these new forms of technology, but introduce accountability to the process?
0: So as we enter into a new year, what can we assume life might look like based on the current fourth turning that we're apparently living through?
1: I would be on the lookout for conflicts. I would be on the lookout for conflict in, you know, (laughs) interestingly enough, on another podcast a year ago today, I was saying that Eastern Europe is the most likely candidate for a regional conflict in the entire world. And I said that on Thanksgiving last year, prior to the invasion of Ukraine was on the John Solomon podcast right now for me, it's Taiwan. It's everything to do with the Taiwan Strait, And not only that, but the repercussions of that action, because you've got this. Global empire in decline that views certain areas as outposts, colonial holdings, if you will, maybe, maybe not in, in, in legal sense, but in, in, in a practical sense that views Taiwan as ours, not theirs, as part of us, part of the quote unquote free world. But there's another way to look at the free world as is this the part of the world that's underneath the American military might? the anglo american military might, and to deprive yourself of that to to lose that, we would say, well, that would be going going towards communism well, then communism fell, and then we say, well and it's interesting they they don't have a good word for it now they'll say, well islamo fascism if you're Iran or syria you know but, but again Syria is more you know assad is secular he's not he's not uh, you know islamist but uh, North Korea, for example. So they've, I think they go they've gone with like autocrat or, you know, a, a liberal, you know, dictatorships. So the question is Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and then Turkey's a wild card. Turkey's a wild card here. Do they form a massive global block with India, by the way, with India, Within we've, India. we've lost India. We've, India's off. I think, I think there's a great possibility for an opportunity to open up the door to India and to make them great friends and allies of the United States, because India is a natural adversary of China. There's no love lost between India and China, but we have done everything we can to drive India into China's arms. And the way I look at it, honestly, is, is this. That if this conflict is coming, who's on our side and who's on their side? I'd rather have India on my side. And you know what? I'd rather China have to fight Russia than us have to fight Russia. Because the amount of nuclear weapons those guys have, the amount of people that they've been willing to sacrifice, and send into invasion, send into bloody battles like Stalingrad, uh, I'd much rather have them be a problem for the Chinese Communist Party and the people in Beijing than a problem for the United States of America. And so if you're looking at another potential world war, I would want to stack the deck in the favor of my people, of my country, of my land, than them.
0: So basically, what Jack Posopic is saying as we enter the new year is keep your eyes peeled. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes peeled.
1: Look to the stars.
0: <laughs> All right. So, if people are interested in generational theory, learning more about the fourth turning, remind us what the books are called again.
1: Yeah. So, the first book is called it's so it's Strauss Howe. It's two, two authors. Um, the first book is called Generations. The second book is called The Fourth Turning.
0: Okay, perfect. And then your podcast is Human Events Daily, Daily, which you can subscribe to anywhere you get your podcasts. It's fabulous. And remind people the premise of your show again.
1: Uh, we are the the world's news, the day's news in twenty five minutes or less. Our motto is be good, be brief, be gone.
0: I love it, Jack Posobiec, uh Tell everyone where to follow you on Twitter as well.
1: At Twitter at Jack Pasobik, of course. Truth Getter Telegram, all over the place.
0: Thank you so much, Jack, for coming on the Spillover again. Your second time. I'm very excited there's so much more on this subject that we couldn't get into this interview so if you are really into it and you want more info about everything we talked about order the book the fourth turning by neil howe and william strauss and go back and listen to my interview with jack about the great reset that's season one episode eight and of course you got to watch the watcher on netflix if you still haven't because it was so Good. The spillover is back next week, and we're kicking things off in the new year with a health and wellness spalooza. Like, as in every episode in January is going to be health and wellness themed with different expert guests, everything from nutrition to mental health. You will feel so informed and encouraged about having a clean slate for health in the new year. So, I'll see you Thursday night, January 5th at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern with an all new episode featuring someone. I call crispy, not crunchy. Talk about living one of the most bizarre and fascinating lifestyles. You're going to love this interview, even if it's purely from a I cannot believe that people actually live this way perspective. Have a happy new year. Kiss someone cute. Hopefully they're hot. If you haven't had, you know, too many drinks, you'll be able to tell the difference. Eat a pie. Hibernate. Leave that Christmas tree up until February. I'm not judging. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye.